1.5x speed so we can go watch the Chiefs game. Just kidding. If you're here, you really love Jesus more than you love the Chiefs, and I'm proud of you. Uh, so I get to carry forward what you guys have been talking about in Galatians. So today we're going to be talking about Galatians 2, 11 through 21. And uh, really what I want to accomplish today is this is a rare situation in the epistles, the letters in the New Testament, where we get to see a little bit more of a narrative in these letters. A lot of times it can be feel this like this sort of lecture kind of thing where Paul or Peter or some other person is just talking about stuff. But there's a cool little interaction narrative story here that's at play. Uh, and so I want us to be able to see that. And then I want us to be able to see clearly the argument that Paul is making about the law and faith and see how that applies to us today. Um, but, but first, I want to start by getting us all kind of on the same page. And I realized at the end of middle school that I, it would be helpful for us to start here. Um, but this passage is going to talk a lot about the law, which I'm sure has come up as you guys have been working through Galatians. That's like a central idea in the book of Galatians. Paul is writing this letter, and it very much deals with these issues of the law. And the law is kind of a confusing idea for us because it doesn't, there's not really a parallel in our current world. We talk about the law, we mostly talk, think like following the law or breaking the law like legal codes like speeding or shoplifting or not doing those kinds of things. And when they talk about the law in this letter, specifically what they're talking about is they're talking about the Old Testament set of rules and regulations that pertained to Jewish people. So these were things like what they could and could not eat, who, and, who they could and could not associate with, uh, all the different things that are written in the book of like Leviticus uh, and Numbers. And it's this rule that basically, all these rules that basically defined Jewish culture. So when we talk about the law, that's what it's talking about. It's talking about the set of rules and regulations that applied to Jewish people. And I think that the, one of the easiest ways for us as we touch on this specifically is for us to think about that less from the law and more from the idea of like following the rules. We have a clear sense in our culture and our world about right and wrong, that like we want to be good people or follow the rules. And so whenever we talk about law, just mentally substitute following the rules. And I think that that'll help us a lot. So we're going to jump into the passage, Galatians 2.11. So first, I'll go ahead and read. But when Cephas came to Antioch, real quick, pop quiz. When it says Cephas, who is that talking about? What's the other name there? Anybody know? Peter, yes. So that gets really confusing. Sometimes the names in the New Testament can be kind of confusing. But when this is talking about Cephas, it's talking about Peter, the same Peter that was a disciple of Jesus, one of the apostles, leader in the early Christian church. So for the sake of everybody, whenever it says Cephas, I'm just going to say Peter. So I'm not adding something crazy. That's just who it is. So when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For he regularly ate with the Gentiles before certain men came from James. However, when they came, he withdrew and separated himself because he feared those from the circumcision party. So one of the things that we're going to do here tonight is I have five things that I hope that we take away from this. And they all have a similar structural structure. I'm basically going to say, hey, this is something that we have. 
And then this is something we should avoid doing. So the very first statement here from this first verse is, you have been given a new life in Jesus. Don't let the crowd determine how you live it. So we're focusing on Peter and Paul here in the interaction between the two of them. In most situations in Scripture, when Peter gets brought up, he's brought up as a leader, someone to emulate, someone who we should follow his example. This is a situation where Peter is actually brought up almost as more of a cautionary tale. Uh, So Paul is rebuking Peter in this letter. But some background on Peter. He is a Jew, so he would have been a person whose life would have been defined by all of those rules and regulations that we talked about at the beginning. His life would have been defined by the law. He grew up defined by all of the Jewish rituals and sacrifices. He knows very well all of the rules pertaining to who you can and cannot eat with, who you can and cannot associate with. But one of the things that I love about Scripture is that you get to see these people's lives play out. And if we look at Acts 10, we can see this crucial thing that happened in the life of Peter. God sends him specifically to speak to a Gentile man named Cornelius. And when he gets to Cornelius, he sees that Cornelius and his family have given their lives to Jesus. Now, Cornelius is a Gentile. In Peter's worldview, it should not be possible that a Gentile is following Jesus. I mean, they have no sense of the law. They don't follow any of the sacrifices. They are totally, seemingly away from God. And yet, here Cornelius and his family are, following Jesus. And after this interaction, Peter says this. He says, You know it's forbidden for a Jewish man to associate with or visit a foreigner, but God has shown me that I must not call any person impure or unclean. So Peter encounters this new truth, that rather than Gentiles be people that we should keep ourselves away from, those that follow Jesus who are Gentiles, we can draw ourselves near to, uh, that God is capable of saving all of those peoples, Jews and Gentiles alike. And he says clearly, I know that I must not call any person impure or unclean. And yet, what do we see here? We see in the passage, it says that when they came, these other people that are more extreme in their following of the Jewish laws and regulation, when they're around, he withdraws and separates himself from the Gentiles because he feared those from the circumcision party. So Peter knows the truth, and yet this crowd of people determines his actions. All of a sudden, he's afraid of what they might think of him. And so he moves away and starts saying, ah, I don't know if I like, he's got these Gentile friends who are like asking him to go to Chipotle or something, and He's like, ah, no, like, sorry, man, like, I can't go be around you because, like, you're a Gentile and, like, you're eating stuff that I shouldn't eat, so I'm going to, like, be over here and I don't want to interact with you. And this is a shame because what did Peter learn from Cornelius? I must not call any person impure or unclean. He knows the truth. But the people that he's around are, are shaping his worldview. And for us today, this is a temptation for us. We all are tempted to let the people around us determine what we should say, what we think, how we should act. And so we know that that isn't what we should be doing. But the hard part for us is that in this situation, Peter is being tempted to add to the gospel, to say, 
Yes, I believe that Jesus died for my sins, but we need to do that and all of these other laws and regulations and sacrifices and things. But for you guys, I would imagine that oftentimes the temptation is more the opposite. You probably don't have very many people that are more extreme than you, expecting more obedience than you, but I'm sure you have plenty of people in your classes that are your friends with that might want you to subtract from the gospel. The crowd might be saying, hey, I know that the Bible or your faith says that it's, that's, it's okay to do, th- or not okay to do this, but like, come on, like, come do this thing with me. And in those situations, we have to trust that what the Bible says for us is right and not let the crowd determine uh, what we're doing. But the, the catch here for Peter is that not only is his actions, not only are his actions individually impactful to his own heart, they expand beyond him. The next verse says this. It says, then the rest of the Jews joined his hypocrisy so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So the, the point here for us is this, that people are paying attention. Don't lead them astray. It is so sad to me that Peter, who is a leader in the church, he's a person that people look to to decide how they should be following Jesus. And these people are watching Peter, and they're watching him sometimes interact with his Gentile friends, and then they see Peter, they see this other crowd of people come in that, that are more extreme than him, and then they watch him withdraw from those people. And so it leads them to this spot where they ask themselves, well, like, what are we supposed to do? If Peter at one situation says, yes, Gentiles, good, and then later says, no, Gentiles, bad, are we supposed to say Gentiles are bad? Like, are we supposed to eat these things or not eat these things that these people are are doing? They're confused. And so if they're asking themselves, well, if Peter's asking this way, acting this way, that must be what it means to follow Jesus. And that means, like, there's this weight to our interactions. There was the weight of leadership on Peter, and he was leading people astray. Even fellow leaders, it says that Barnabas, another influential person in the church, was confused and starting to be led astray by his hypocrisy. And the thing for us today is that for all of us, we might not want that pressure. We might just wish that like, nobody would pay attention to us and we could just do our own thing. Uh, and live our life in the way that seems right to us. But the truth is that people are watching you. Like, you guys are models to your classmates, to your friends, uh, to your family. And to each of those people, you, the way you live, is showing them what it might look like to follow Jesus. And so that's important. We can't ignore it. And so I think that There are three questions that I think are worth us asking ourselves to be sure that we are being faithful as we interact with other people around us. So first of all, the question that we can ask ourselves is, am I being obedient? Peter knows the truth of the gospel, and yet his actions aren't following in step with what he knows. And for us, if we're obedient to the truth of Scripture, then we can be confident that the people that we interact with, we're not leading them astray. We know that we're doing the right thing, and they're not going to learn something false by watching us live. Uh, So we don't want to be causing anybody to repeat our disobedience. So that's a a great question to ask. Is my action in this situation obedient to what the Bible says, to what the gospel says, 
to what Jesus would do. And second of all, am I being consistent? I think this is probably one of the most important questions that any of you guys could ask yourself because the truth is we all have these subtle ways in which we will interact differently around one group of people than another. I know for me, one of the things that Erica says as she's in all of my environments, we'll go into some place and she'll say like, you just are not yourself here. She will see that I'm interacting with people different, I'm acting different, my personality maybe is a little bit different. I'm being inconsistent in the way that I'm living. And that's what Peter was doing. There would be some situations that he would say, yes, I can associate these, these, these people. Then all of a sudden this other group comes around and he says, no, I can't associate with these people. He's being inconsistent. So the question first uh, for us is that to ask ourselves and know ourselves well enough to see if we're changing from group to group or environment to environment. Am I the same person around this group of friends as I am this group of friends? When I'm at youth group, am I one person? And whenever I'm at my sports team, am I another person? That requires a little bit of self-examination, but I think it's important. And the third question is, am I being loving? This is just a simple question to say, are you considering the people around you more than you're considering yourself? Peter wasn't looking at his own actions to see how he might be confusing the people around us. And if we're being loving to our neighbors, we'll slow down and consider how our actions might impact them. So we'll jump back to what Paul is saying here in Galatians. It says this, But when I saw that they were deviating from the truth of the gospel, I told Peter in front of everyone, If you, who are a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? What he's saying is that this Jewish standard is higher than the Gentile standard because it is adding all of these rules and things about what to eat and how to live. It is adding those things on to what Jesus has said. And so Paul's saying, Peter, if you're not willing to live to this standard all the time, and you're just inconsistently changing back and forth, how can you tell anybody else to live to this standard? He's just simply calling Peter a hypocrite. And he goes on to explain why he's being a hypocrite in the following verses. Uh, You can put up the next one. It says, we are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. If you're looking at the CSB, it puts Gentile sinners in quotes. Because Paul is using the phrasing that the Jewish people might have used to casually mock these Gentile believers. They just can't even fathom the idea that these non-Jewish people could know Jesus. It's beyond their comprehension. And so they casually tag them as Gentile sinners, as if to say, well, I'm not one of those people. And and Paul is saying this, like he's saying, Peter, you and I, we're Jews, We have all of this incredible cultural heritage of obedience to the law and all these things. We're not one of those people, one of those Gentile sinners. But he keeps going because that's not the main point of what he's saying. And he says this, he says, And yet because we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we ourselves have believed in Christ Jesus. This was so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because of the works of the law, no human being will be justified. So again, Peter is ident- Paul is identifying with both Peter and his Jewish heritage. And he's saying, if even us, these people that are like Jews of the highest degree, if even we are saying that 
people's salvation is by faith rather than their obedience to the law, uh, then how could, we exp- how could we explain anything else? How could we say it any other way other than to say clearly and boldly that faith comes only through Jesus rather than through the law? Uh, Paul is adamant that no amount of rule following will ever save. <laughs> like, if you read this, I don't know if you've spent a lot of time reading what Paul's writing, but he has this like tendency to write really long sentences. This is t- sentences that seem to repeat themselves over and over and over again. Like, if you listened, I'll read this again and just listen to him what he repeat what he says over and over again. He says, "We know that a person is not justified by works of the law." So that's the first time he phrases it. He says, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we ourselves have believed in Jesus Christ. This was so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. (laughs) He is trying to bring home in three different ways, in one sentence basically, that no human is justified by the works of the law. And we know this in our minds, but we resist this in our hearts. Because we, like Peter, want to have this external sense of who we are and what we're doing and feel like that could save us. We want to feel like, well, you know, I know that Jesus saves me, but like, but I'm also like a really good person. Like, I went to homecoming and like, I didn't do anything wrong. Or like, I went and I like, went to D groups like every Sunday rather than just like three out of four. Like we have this resume that we're trying to build and we're trying to present it to other people as this model of this incredible person who we, that we are. And Peter wants that. He wants the approval of other people. That's why he's changing back and forth. He wants all of these people to approve of who he is. But Paul is reminding him that Peter all that stuff doesn't matter. Justification by faith is what matters. And he goes on. He says, if we ourselves are found to be sinners while seeking to be justified by Christ, is Christ then a promoter of sin? Absolutely not. He, he's saying that, Peter, if you're worried that by associating with Gentiles and doing what Jesus showed you when you met Cornelius, if you're worried that by doing those things, people are just going to call you a sinner, then you just have to trust that that doesn't make Jesus a sinner. That doesn't make Jesus promoting of sin. We have to trust that what we know is right is right and go on it confidently. And the book of Romans expands on this idea of whether or not us having grace makes Jesus responsible for our sin. It's a complicated theological issue that if you want to read more about, read the book of Romans. It expands on that a lot. But Paul continues. He says, If I rebuild those things that I tore down, I show myself to be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And this is the central thing about what Peter, or what Paul, man, I can't get those straight, two, if only they, I should have gone Cephas, so it wouldn't have been, it would have been Paul and Cephas rather than the two Ps. But what Paul is trying to say is found clearly in this verse. And I'll I'll phrase it like this, that you died to your old life. Don't resurrect it. He says it this way. He says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, 
but Christ lives in me. And when we look at Paul's life, we, we talked a little bit about Peter, but when we look at Paul's life, he is like law follower of all law followers. He gave his entire life, even to the point of persecuting Christians, to stand on the fact that the law had value, that it was worth upholding, and that it was worth giving his life to. And when Paul came to know Christ, he all of a sudden is saying the exact opposite. He's saying, the law can't do anything for you. Only Christ can do, can do what, the law, what you hoped the law would do. Only Christ can save you. So what he's saying in this verse is he's saying, if I then go back and try to rebuild the very thing that I tore down, all I show myself to be now is a lawbreaker. If I couldn't even follow the law that I was saying was of so much value, and I'm like wishy-washy, I'm like halfway, that doesn't do anything for anyone. So he has to go firmly into the future having put to death the old life that he had being reliant on the law. There's this picture I think that you can see here that like the law was a creaky, broken down house that Paul was living in. The water, when it rained, the water came through the tiles. There was a door that that couldn't quite, you know, it, it was creaky every time. I don't know if any of you guys have like, you're going at a lock that's hard to lock at your house or in your car if there's something that annoys you that you're continually dealing with. The house that was built on the law was falling apart. And so what Paul did was he tore it down. He said, this is pointless to me. And Jesus built him a new house. And this house was perfect. And he is saying, what would be the point of going back to the old house if I can live in the new house with Christ. And the phrase that he, he uses is he uses this idea of death. And if there's anything in our world that we know has permanence, it's death. Like, we've experienced that in some sense. And we know that when something dies, there's no going back. You can't bring it back to life. It's final. It's permanent. And that is what Paul is saying is true of our old life, that it's dead. It died with Jesus on the cross. There is no going back to it. And even that, if we were to return to it, we, all we would see is that there's nothing there, that there's no hope there, there's no joy there, there's no peace there. And so we press forward into the life that Christ has given us. And so the, the verse that brings us home here, it says, The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. So the last point here is that Jesus died to save you from your sin. Don't pretend you can save yourself. So if everything that Paul has been talking about up to this point is kind of past looking, it's talking about our old life, it's saying that it's dead, that we can't return to it, it's talking about the fact that he has torn down this idea of a life built on the law. Now he looks forward. He says, the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. Like his life is found in the life of Jesus, not the law. 
His life is found in what Christ has done, not anything that he has done. Faith, not the law, has given his life purpose. Grace, not rule following, defines his life. And so for us, we have to, to set down any idea that our work, the things that we do, the amount that we follow the rules, how good we are, we have to set that down as if it could ever save us. And we have to go forth boldly in the idea that Jesus died to save us and rely wholly and completely on Christ. And to circle back to just the picture of Peter and Paul and Peter just struggling to live his life consistently, that life, guys, of being able to live life boldly for Jesus, I promise you, if you can do that obediently, consistently, lovingly to the people around you, it is so compelling. Like, I don't know if you guys have spent a, long, a lot of time around somebody who, like, really, really loves Jesus. I have a guy I meet with. His name is Scott. Um, and I meet with him continually. We meet every other week. And I meet with him because he just loves Jesus. And seeing his model day in, day out, seeing the way that he lives his life and having his example to follow helps me follow Jesus better. And so rather than being like Peter, who shirked the responsibility of taking seriously the idea of that his example mattered, that other people could follow him and follow his consistent model of faith in Jesus, we can instead take seriously that and seek to be people that follow Jesus so boldly and consistently that other people want to follow that model, that they see Jesus in us. They see someone who is confident in his grace, who isn't trying to work to build a resume as if God needs to, as if they need to, to act out for God to love them, but they are confidently, humbly following Jesus. And then other people could follow that. Like, that is a compelling picture that I hope and pray could be true of all of you guys, that you would be so in love with Jesus, so confident in what he did on the cross without needing to save yourself that other people would come to know Jesus through that model. So as you guys go to D groups, um, I think that the direction that I would love for you guys to, to talk about is just to talk about what it looks like for you guys to live your life in such a way that other people are seeing. Ask yourself, talk through some of those questions about being obedient, being consistent, being loving. Um, and just gather together and say, are there opportunities for us to be able to, to do this better? Are there environments in which I'm being inconsistent that I might be leading people astray? Are there moments wherever I'm not being quite as obedient as I would like to be and that I want to follow Jesus more closely? Um, I think those are some great places for you guys to start talking um, and hopefully will lead to some productive conversations. So I'm going to pray, then you guys can go to D groups. Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we can gather together um, and just open up your word together and see the truth. Um, that's just so comforting to us that there is nothing that we can do to save ourselves. No law, no rule, no amount of 
obedience or effort or striving will ever bring us even a step closer to salvation. But Father, that what Jesus did on the cross did everything for us. Um, We need nothing else other than to put our faith in him um, to be able to bring us to you. And so, Father, we just pray for each of these individuals that uh, as they leave here and they go to, you know, D groups and then to school or to sports teams or to their friends, Father, that they would be consistently devoted to following you, that they would be uh, people that are defined by grace and a love for you, and that ultimately other people would come to know faith because they are willing uh, to follow you closely. So, Father, we are so grateful for Jesus, uh, for the sufficient work that he did on the cross, and we give our lives um, wholly to him. Father, we pray all these things in your name. Amen.